0: So I am really excited because today we begin this series, uh, Politics in Church, and it's actually designed to make you uncomfortable (laughs) and hopefully make us better as well, because I usually don't talk about politics or anything political in church, but... Whenever something that Jesus says specifically intersects with something that we are wrestling with within our culture, or specifically, you know, like this in this time of our nation, I actually look forward to talking about it because Jesus' words are very, very relevant with everything happening right now. And the division, the division within the church in America that's created by our current political context and climate, it actually intersects directly with something that Jesus taught. So, we're actually gonna dig in and talk about it. And since we are a very diverse church, it's actually even more important for us to talk about this because we're actually set up to be divided. There are actually a few things that are against us as a church, and first of all is that your best asset can also be your worst asset. Liability. And so in other words, if I'm maybe a super driven person and I, I don't like to get things done, well, that's great until I become controlling or unreasonable. And so with us as a congregation, our diversity is one of our huge assets that we have as a church to reach our community. But yet, that also could also bring a lot of division if we don't understand what our responsibility is biblically and scripturally in regards to how diverse that we are. and that, So that could be as far as race goes, as far as age. It could be as, as, par, as far as politics goes, which we're going to talk about today. So the other thing is that we have in America a news system as well as a political system that actually runs on cash. And in the news system, you you make cash by getting eyeballs on news. And what gets eyeballs on news is conflict and fear. And there's a lot of fear-mongering on both sides, on all sides. And as long as we have a news system that is for profit, it's going to happen. And then also, a lot of those news outlets that have social media pages, and they get a lot of their news to us through social media. Uh, social media has actually developed algorithms that help feed back to you things that you already uh, agree with. So it's possible that we live in a bubble of our own beliefs and we never get outside of that bubble other than somebody in our bubble over-exaggerating somebody else's opinion to the point that it seems ridiculous and stupid. So in addition to these two things, listen, you can raise a lot of money peddling fear. You can't raise as much money if you're not peddling fear. So the Republicans have no heart and the Democrats are gonna take away all your guns, but for 25, 50 or $100, you can keep that from happening. And so if the president gets elected, it's, uh, re-elected, it's the end of the world. If Biden gets re-elected, uh, it's the end of the world. But for $25, $50, $100, you know, so if you pedal fear, you can raise a ton of money. But here's the question, is just within the context of the United States, what actually is it that we fear? And the answer is the same for most all of us. At a very macro level, it's that we fear that something is going to be taken away. We we fear the loss of control, the loss of opportunity, the loss of the future of our children, the loss of our culture, the loss of our freedoms, the loss of our progress, because we made some progress in some areas. And see, white, fee- white people fear what might happen. Brown and black people fear what has already happened. It's, for a lot of us, it's not theory. Uh, for a lot of us, it's history. And so it wasn't actually that long ago uh, when many of these things happened. And so there's fear for everybody, anybody that wants it. And but the thing is, is people can't raise money if they can't peddle fear. So we're in this culture where everybody is peddling fear. And if we're not careful, we will actually be victims of that and distracted by that. And here's the thing: is if we're not careful, we'll be divided by that. You see, we have the complete spectrum within our churches. Um, and I've got to tell you, I've got to. I love that. And I want to say this. If you're looking for a church where everybody's the same, you came to the wrong church. If you're looking you know, for a church where everybody agrees politically, you're in the wrong church as well, because we are a very, very diverse church within our community, and within our community, we have an unprecedented uh, opportunity to model to our community what it looks like to disagree politically, because we're going to continue to disagree politically, but yet love unconditionally. You see, I understand because what we're, see, here's the thing. What we're going to talk about today, you think you've already figured it out. And this is why we're going to spend a whole series is, is that a lot of us, we think that we're fine. We've already got it all figured out and we are right. But maybe we could dig in and figure out some new things. And I'm not going to ask you to change political parties, but I'm just asking us as Christians to think a little bit different. And the thing that I'm asking, and I think this goes to the heart of it, is are you willing to evaluate your politics through the filter of our Christian faith? That's the question, our biblical faith, as opposed to creating a version of our faith that, that supports our politics, which is what most Christians actually do. But the real issue is, are we actually willing Are we willing to put our political filter behind instead of in front of our faith filter? Are we willing to evaluate and then reevaluate our politics in light of what Jesus teaches? So I can ask it this way, are you, am I? are we willing to follow Jesus when following Jesus creates actual space between you and maybe your political party or your political platform and or your party's candidate and I'm just gonna tell you that most Christians are not able to do this, from my observation, especially in the climate that we're in right now and in the months coming ahead. Because here's the thing, is when, you're, when you become divided, it's really easy to rush to the corners and assume that God and Jesus is in lockstep with only us in our side. Now, apparently, Jesus saw this coming. And what Jesus saw coming was the division In fact, it's extraordinary that after Jesus had his final Passover meal with his disciples, he actually prays a prayer in John. And in this prayer, two interesting things happen. First of all, he prays for us, we'll look at that in a minute. But the second thing is Jesus actually had his own prayer request. And so in this prayer request, we discover what Jesus's heart was from, what he needed from the Father, what he asked for. And so Jesus is there in the end, he's getting ready to be arrested, tried, crucified, and he asks something of his heavenly father in this moment. And what he asks has everything to do with any of us who consider ourselves to be Jesus followers. And so here's what he prays. He says, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son, in other words, look, brighten me up so people know who I am. It's what we talked about last last series. And he says, now light me up so that people know who you are. And then he says, I am gonna remain in the world no longer, but they, speaking of the disciples, they are still in the world. I'm coming to you, I'm leaving them. But then here is Jesus' prayer request to the Father. He says, Holy Father, protect them, these 12 guys, by the power of your name, the name that you gave me, so that... In other words, here is the purpose of the protection. This is specifically how I want you to protect them. And listen, he's not praying for their physical protection, he's praying for something that he thinks is more important than their physical protection. This is his one prayer request, and here's what he wanted protected more than anything else. That they may be one, as we are one. You see, at the very end, the thing that Jesus was most concerned about was their unity. And their oneness. Because look, here's what he knew, and here's what he's gonna kind of explain in the next few verses. He knew that as long as they were together and they were lockstep with the Holy with the Father, that the world would change. But if they ever got divided, ever got splintered, everything would stall. And then he prays, watch this, for you and me. It's amazing. He says, my prayer is not for them alone, not just these 12. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. In other words, that next generation of Christians, and then the next generation, and then the next generation, all the way to you and me. And what do you think he, pra- he prayed for you and me as well? He says that all of them, in the first century, that meant Jew and Gentile, rich and poor, servant and freeman and military leaders and soldiers and tax gatherers and Gentiles, Jews, the educated, the uneducated. It meant everybody. But today in the 21st century, it means Republicans, Democrats, Libertarians, you know, librarians, independents, black, brown, beige, married, single, man, women, everybody. That everybody that call me Lord, no matter where they're from or what they've experienced or how good life has treated them or how poorly life has treated them, connected or disconnected. He says that I pray that all of them, in this extraordinary uh, just demographic of people with all these different experiences, I pray that somehow all of them may be one. That is absolutely extraordinary because it sounds impossible, but Jesus was actually convinced. He was convinced that as impossible as that may sound, that it was mission critical which meant that even though it may have seemed impossible, it was imperative. It wasn't just this add-on or bolt-on. Like, wouldn't it be nice if they all got along, but, you know, the gospel will still go forward. No, no, no. It meant that we should be intentional, that we should make sure that there is unity in the church because this is what Jesus prayed for. And look, this doesn't come naturally, right? It's because we only know what we know, and we were raised by who we were raised, and we experienced what we experienced. And we tend to run in our little corners politically and relationally and culturally and and in every way. And Jesus says, my church, it's going to be so diverse, so international, so many different languages and so many different colors and so many different cultures. And if there is any way that they could remain one through all of that, God, he prays, let it be. And then he continues and he says, Father, just as you're in me and I am in you, may they also be in us. So that another, look, so that another purpose clause, you know why he prayed for oneness? The reason actually doesn't have anything to do with us. He prayed for oneness because of what he wanted to do through us. That's exactly right. And because there can be a lot of unity in the local church and, that will, uh, and the church will survive. But if there is a lack of unity in the local, the local church, God can't do what He wants to do. The reason that God wants us to be one is not so the people, not for the people in the church, but for the people outside the church, the people that roll their eyes at us as Christians. It's so that when they see the unity in spite of the diversity, when they see our unity in spite of our diversity within the church, that they would actually come to the conclusion that they would believe, that they would be convinced that God sent Jesus. That's what he's saying here. He's saying this is not just an option, an add-on. This is imperative that the world is going to sit up and take notice of who Jesus is, is because the church works together even though we disagree, that we can agree to disagree, even though we're raised in different environments, so we may never see the world the same way. But there is this beautiful, magical unity around Jesus Christ that we are one in him and Jesus is saying this is the way forward. This is what is going to get the attention of in his in his world, the empire, the pagan world. And he he tells us that we cannot sacrifice our unity for anything. So after Jesus gives this command, he says, "God, please help them get this right. Please." As the church expands and grows from Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts of the earth, please help them to love each other as different as they're gonna be in so many ways. And then he says, so I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they could be one as we are one. I and them, them and me, so that they may be brought to, and watch this, to complete unity, and not political unity, but unity of purpose, unity of a world view that they would see each other, Father, as I see each of them, that they would see me as I am to be seen. And then suddenly this worldview that included a God that loved them and a Savior that would die for them, that that would be so amazing that it would redefine everything for them. And then, he says, "Then the world, not us, but then the world would know for certain that you have sent me and you have loved them just like you have loved me." He's, he's praise, heavenly Father. Look, we both know that everything rides on their unity. It's pivotal. It's not on their politics, not on their culture, not on their language, not around the bits and pieces of the worldview, not around what you know, what, how they do baptism or communion or when they sing or what they sing or when they meet. That we know that there is a core that must be unified around. And if they are, Jesus would say to the Father, we know that the world will change forever. And here's the thing your political candidate for president or for anything, but your candidate will win or lose based upon how the election goes. But the church, we will win or lose based upon our behavior every single day between now and then and then afterward as well. I'm gonna say it again. Your political candidate, I hope you all vote but your candidate will win or lose based upon how the election goes. But the church wins or loses, the community wins or loses, and in some way our nation wins or loses based upon how we treat each other, how we love each other, how we love our world every single day between now and November and then afterward. And I say it that strong because Jesus was so clear. We must not allow anything to divide us. And we must not allow anyone to divide us. So here's the question. Why in the world would we, as followers of an eternal king in the kingdom, this upside down kingdom, why would we allow us to be divided by temporary political systems and temporary political leaders and temporary political platforms? Why would we allow ourselves to be divided by lesser kings? And this is the most embarrassing thing to me. Why would we allow ourselves to be divided by fear? See, Jesus' most often repeated command was fear not. And you know what? So many of us are so afraid of a potential someone or a potential something out there in the future. Can we just pause for a second and think about the context in which Jesus said fear not? You have the temple on one side that can't wait to have you arrested, and then you have the empire on the other side that is going to actually perform the execution. And in the middle of those two colossal forces, Jesus says to his disciples, he smiles and he says, "Guys, just ignore that. The kingdom is higher than that. Fear not. A new king has come, and you are kings and queens." and when the kings rally around the message of the king of kings we know that something extraordinary will happen why would we allow any political thing why would we run the risk and allow any strongly held or maybe not so strongly held view actually divide us from a living breathing person your brother your sister When Jesus' single command was this, believe what you want to believe, vote for whoever you want to vote for, but do not dare mistreat somebody made in my image. Why would we let a political view split us from our brother and our sister? That person maybe that lives next door to you or that person that works with you or goes to school with you, or the worst of all, the person that's related to us. I mean, this is just common sense. Why would we not fight for and struggle for and sacrifice for the unity that our king prayed for in his last hours for us? You see, the unity of the church is what got the attention of the pagan world of that time. And eventually, the entire world, Jesus that ruled the whole world there ended up embracing Jesus because of this unity. So... I'm telling you, this is God's will for you, for us. This is God's will for every church because this is exactly what Jesus prayed for. So I wanna make two suggestions as we start off this journey of this series together. Number one, would you pray like Jesus prayed? Because most of us have actually never prayed a prayer like this before. Would you pray for oneness? Jesus prayed short prayers and so we're gonna pray a short prayer as well. We're all gonna pray it out loud in a minute. Make us one so that you can influence many. See, this is not about church growth or getting more people into the church. Jesus just said, hey, look, if they will stay one, the world will know who I am. The world will pay attention and look up if they will stay one. And I want you to pray this for living one, living word. Heavenly Father, make us one so we can influence many. This was Jesus's prayer who hours later died for this. This is what he wanted protected even more than the lives of his closest disciples. So let's just pray this together right now. Say this together with me. Heavenly Father, make us one so that we can influence many. One more time. Heavenly Father, make us one so that we can influence many. The second thing that I want you to do, and for, for some of you, this... Uh, you might already do this, but I just want to, you know, push a little bit. I want you to look for an opportunity, because a lot of you will have to look for it. Look for an opportunity to love unconditionally somebody that you disagree with politically. Some of you say, Well, I don't know anybody I disagree with politically. Well, that's probably part of the problem right there. That that'll get you started, you know. You know, that, that might be why you haven't learned anything in 15 years. Oh, I'm sorry about that. I'll back up. But this is why we're so convinced that we're right. And you might say, well, but Micah, like, how can I be one with somebody who would vote for an obvious racist, right? Or how could I be one with somebody who would vote for somebody who obviously wants to deconstruct the United States and turn it into a godless Marxist nation? And the problem with both of those statements is the word obviously. Did it ever occur to any of us that to our brother or our sister, it's not that obvious? that your side is not that obvious, that they don't see what you see? Or maybe they see something that you don't see. Well, yeah, but they're wrong. See, I can't be wrong because I'm always right. I see everything clearly. Well, I can't, you might say, I can't understand why anybody would believe that. Well, you just made a confession. Yeah, there's something that you don't know. Well, I don't see how anybody could behave that way. Well, you just made a confession. There's something you don't know. So I understand a lot of you are thinking, so Micah, you're being pretty naive, you know, or that we're all gonna get along. Actually, let me give you an example of something super naive. A first century rabbi from nowhere is far uh, away from the epicenter of activity as he possibly be way way up north up in that hot syrian sun surrounded by 12 guys who were younger than him and they've got no political clout whatsoever they've got nothing going for them they're they're up there in the blazing hot sun and this first century rabbi says to these guys guys i'm gonna build my church my movement my assembly my congregation which by the way was illegal, but I'm going to build my church and it's going to change the whole world and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. Now that's naive, but it happened. And his disciples might look around and go, what, us? You're going to to do what? And Jesus says, no, I'm going to start a movement and you guys are going to be part of it. And neither Rome nor the temple nor any culture nor any nation will ever, ever stop it. It will change the planet. That, my friends, that's naive, but he did it, and we are part of it. And listen, our unique sacrificial oneness is the key to fueling it in our generation 2,000 years later. So disagree politically, but love unconditionally and pray for oneness. Disagree politically, love unconditionally and pray for oneness. Disagree politically, love unconditionally, and pray for unity.